You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Fantastic to have you with us on the Farmer's Kitchen podcast. Brought to you by Spinneys. It's your slice of foodie inspiration. We're in conversation with superstar chef Jason Atherton, talking about how the industry has changed since he joined out of the army. Also learning more about a new eatery in City Walk, eating lighter for the summer, plus... What does industry insider Samantha Wood think about Michelin in Dubai? It's been a year. Second instalment has just dropped. What's her take? And we're in conversation with a real-life Willy Wonka about some crazy chocolate flavours. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Jason Atherton is an English chef, restaurateur. He was the exec chef at Gordon Ramsay's Maze in London, where he was awarded his first Michelin star and opened up his first restaurant, Poland Street Social, in 2011, which got a star soon after. He's based in London, but operates around the world, including here in Dubai. The highly anticipated City Social and Seven Tales um, officially opened their doors earlier this year, and we've stolen them away from the kitchen for a chat. How are you, Chef? I'm very well, thank you, Helen. It's so nice to have you back in Dubai. And I got a lovely surprise when I came in to, for brunch at City Social on Saturday. And I was like, oh, I'm sure, not sure Jason Nathan would be here. Came out the lift, looked left, and there you were, plating. Yep. Very hands-on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've got lots to talk to you about. And I think, really, for me, it's just a really amazing opportunity to kind of catch up with you after, you know, this new iteration of you in Dubai and have a bit of a reflection, really. But I'd love to kind of take you back in time, if that's all right. Now, you started out in the army of all places. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And when did you become the, aware that a chef could be something that you could actually do as a career? Yeah, gosh, that is back in time. So it was 1986, 87, and I had to make a choice. Um, that dreaded British uh thing where you don't do very good at school you then get taken to the headmaster's office and you sit there with the careers officer and he says you mr Everton, are fit for the army or a chef and i said well i'll do both <laughs> did you so you, did you serve in the army you went off for training yeah yeah i went to st omer's uh, st omer barracks in aldershop and um did my six weeks basic training and then realized that i really wanted to be a chef and it was mm. the army was not for me did you bring those two together then in the in the army i'm very disciplined yeah, yeah. so i'm very i'm a very disciplined person i like to um, and i think you know if you run a really high-end kitchen it sort of has the same values and, and i often think about well yeah values but also that hierarchy as well you know the ranks yeah and you want you have to want to respect that you know mm. if you want to work in an elite kitchen you have to want to respect that so it sort of fitted me really so yeah I quite enjoyed it so starting out then as a chef what did success look like to you then when did you think oh when I've done that or when I've created this I'll have mm. made it Do you know what it's, it, it's a very Helen today is a very different world mm. um, it's amazing how far it's come uh, in the culinary world back then in the late 80s my only objective in life was to be a great chef it was never about owning my own restaurant, winning Michelin stars or anything like that. I just wanted to make sure that all my disciplines were covered from pastry work to bread work to meat, fish, sauce making, you know, terrine making, all of that stuff. And then, you know, the world changed, right? Chefs became, you know, back then chefs weren't celebrities. They weren't on TV. They weren't, you know, people used to write about their restaurants, but they were the very, very elite, right? Um, so it's it, it's just incredible now how... 
Food's changed. It's interesting. Yeah, you're right in terms of that perception of a chef life and that celebrity, which, you know, I think has encouraged some great people to get into the industry and certainly not knocking it. But that wasn't why you got into it. It's just kind of you're almost a celebrity chef I have an agent. I'm a chef. Who are you? I have an agent. (laughs) Who am I? Why do I have an agent? But but you have have done some, you know, quite a bit of TV in your time. I've got a message here, actually, um, saying, this is Sammy saying, big fan of Jason. Curious if he watches cooking shows to relax. Has he seen boys? Boiling Point. Oh, great movie. Steve Graham's amazing. Okay, what's your take on that? In fact, actually, I did a TV show with uh, Mr. Graham um, uh, on Channel 4, um, and he was very funny. Very, very funny guy. So I, I watched it because, A, I like him as an actor, and B... You know, not that many things can go wrong in 24 hours. Let's just put that to, let's put that to bed here. It's a somewhat dramatised version. <laughs> Maybe you might get that much into a year, but to that much to happen in 24 hours. But it really shows, you know what, not any society, not, any, not just our industry, but any industry can be stressful. And it's really how you deal with that as a person, right? That's, that's a good point. So do you watch cooking shows to relax? I do. What do you like watching? I do. I, I like watching Rick Stein. I think his voice is very nice. It's one of those... You know, he's become almost like the culinary um, uh, David Attenborough, you know? That's that's such a good comparison because you you get that escapism with him in terms of exploring landscapes and ingredients. It's not just purely in the kitchen, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So I I wanted to ask you a little bit about that industry changing, you know, the life of a chef. How have the stresses changed? And obviously you've come up through that and now at the top, so there's different pressures on your shoulders as a restaurateur as as it would be doing those 18 hours a day. But, you know, kind of zooming out and looking at chef life in general, do you feel like it has changed? Definitely. I think, you know, we have to be careful that, you know, you want too much too soon. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be careful what you wish for. You know, I think that's really important. I think it's a craft. You know, crafts do take time, unfortunately, you know, no, no robot, no AI, no is going to ever open a restaurant that gives you the same emotions as a, a world-class restaurant because that's from somebody's heart. You know, mm-hmm. it's completely different. It's an emotion cooking very much like that. So, I mean, if I could give any advice to anybody who comes into our industry or is already in the industry and is struggling is just just take your time. Don't feel pressure that you have to be as good as the next guy. Just be the best version of yourself, right? But that's interesting as well because Dubai, um, obviously I've got no point of comparison because I've been here now for so long, but I feel like Dubai, and having spoken to chefs that are based here, has become a lot more collaborative with the chef community. But for a long time was this, there was this really big narrative about chefs being very competitive. And I was wondering what do you think it's like kind of in the rest of the world? Do you feel like chefs are pitted against each other quite a bit? Yeah, it's like fashion, right? You know, yeah. all the big fashion houses um, compete against each other. They, you know, they a lot of them pretend to be best friends but you know it's it's uh in in, in the chef's world yep it, it's much better than it was for sure you know chefs do help each other out um i'm massive on it so when any chef comes into the uk and they're opening up a new restaurant we 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 reach out and and, and give them supply chains um how to recruit properly that type of stuff because i think it's a really important message this is farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 with spinnies eat well Live well. Chef Jason Athen is in the studio. City Social now open at Grosvenor House. Seven Tales as well. And the, the promise of a third, the hat trick opening later this year. We're going to be finding out about that. We've just been talking about how much the industry's changed, how much you know pressure on chefs has not necessarily increased or decreased, but certainly shifted. What about diners, chef? How do you think our taste or even our expectations of dining out has changed? Massive. Do if you? you think about how people use their spare time they're eating out 
three, four times a week now. Complete, you know, everything from Peruvian. I mean, Peruvian wasn't even a thing 20 years ago. Peruvian food, Japanese food, Chinese. It's, it, it, their peoples are now experiencing every cuisine. We're more right? global. Yeah. And, you know, and as a chefs have to stay on top of that, right? And making sure that even as a modern European cook, we have to make sure that our cuisine stands out amongst those cuisines. Mm. So it's, it's the pressure's there, yeah, for sure. It's a, real, it's a thing. Dare I ask about Instagram? Do you think social media's had an impact or whether that is on plating or how or marketing from a chef's point of view? Yeah, I mean, during lockdown. Um, we, we cooked during lockdown. Remember? Yeah, we did. We cooked during lockdown. I mean, how crazy is that? You're in Dubai. I'm in London. Making bread. Right. And <laughs> we, we reached out to so many people through Instagram. Um, and, you know, my wife said to me, you know, what are we going to do during lockdown? And I said, well, look, I'm, the only thing I know how to do is cook. And she said, OK, let's cook. Let's teach people at home. I'll video you. We'll teach them how to cook really basic stuff so they can they don't get bored and we can make it a thing and we do it every day at four o'clock and we did and we I think we gained something crazy like fifty or sixty thousand followers doing it. That's the connection, is, isn't it? Yeah. So you know. Now we're lo- we're really lucky to have you here in Dubai and Dubai is actually a very special place for you. It's where you ma- I think you got married here. Didn't I got you? married here in Jebel Ali at the little old oh, church there. My on kids a, were christened there on a Wednesday. <laughs> It was a windy Wednesday. My wife had this beautiful dress made and it the poor old uh, pastor nearly passed out because it blew up in the wind. <laughs> the Marilyn Monroe <laughs> moment in Jebel Ali. <laughs> Who would have thought it? So we're lucky that you've, you know, kind of got a special place in your heart, really. City Social opened back what, January, February time, seven tails upstairs. What's your mission with that space, Chef? I think, you know, we, of course, City Social London, um, their sisters and brothers, both have amazing views of the city they're in. Um, that's their likeness. Um, you know, the one in London has a Michelin star. Would we like the one here to do? Of course we would. But, but you know, we're, we're humble enough to do. We've got a lot of work to do. We're going to work hard, um, keep refining, keep, keep uh, the training, make sure, you know, Dubai is a very special place for me. I've spent a lot of time here. I've got a lot of good friends. Um, I, I really enjoy the city. Um, just got my golden visa, yay, so yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so we're going to be here a lot more. And you know, I want to be part of the scene and be part of. You, you know, already are, for what it's worth. Thank you. That's very kind, and, and just make sure we do a good job. You know, let's talk food. Yep, modern European. It's a big pressure to be having a city social here in Dubai. It's not its own entity. It's you know, it's it's an extension of something that's really special to you and and the brand, I suppose. Can you give us a bit of flavour? What's on the menu and how much is unique to Dubai? I can. You know, we imported these beautiful ageing rooms so we could age the, the meat properly. And it's a big thing for us. So we have them in London. We want the same here in Dubai. I had to go jump through hoops to get them. And we, we have steaks from all over the world, beautifully aged, got great texture, great flavour. Um, and then, of course, our famous triple cooked duck fat chips. We wanted those. So they are absolutely on the menu. And then everything what we cook, it's called modern European. I, I nicknamed the cuisine modern European cuisine interrupted by Japanese flavours. And what I mean by that, the protein starts as a European protein. And then the flavourings have a little bit of a Japanese background to them from using everything from homemade dashes, um, soys, white soys, mirins, um, you know, you name it, ponzus. Uh, and then we sort of interrupt the status quo, if you like, of what so modern European cuisine makes is. Makes us think a little bit more. I Absolutely. was there for brunch, as I said last week, and... No disrespect to brunches around the UAE, but sometimes food is not the priority. And do you know what? When I was 25, that was fine. I was happy to queue up and end up with a plate that looked like some kind of horrendous wedding buffet. (laughs) However, now I want to sit down and have some beautiful food with friends and 
great service. And I have to say, it absolutely delivered. The staff were exceptional. Thank you. And we've had much discussion on um, Dubai this week about tipping and about service. And I wondered what great service means to you because it can be a circuit breaker between amazing food and an amazing experience. If someone's not able to communicate, as you're talking about, you know, this this piece of meat has been in an ageing room and this is, this is the flavour profile and it would go well with this. What's the point? Absolutely. I mean, even though City Social is not trying to be a, a, a free Michelin five hat gourmet restaurant, it still has a team of sommeliers, it has an amazing wine list. So we want to make sure that whatever you're drinking, we can uh, make sure we pair that properly. Um, and also having a team of, we brought a massive team over from London for the training to make sure that we get all of the, the nuances you would get in our restaurant in London mm-hmm. into the, the restaurant here. And um, so far, so good. It seems to be working. Uh, it's great for the team because they get first-hand training from uh, the, our experts in London. They get to benefit the all of Dubai who come to eat with us gets to benefit. And I just think it's our duty to try and enhance what we already have to make it better. So, yeah. So, so from – and the space is stunning, by the way. Um, I think the kind of – the showstopper is this central staircase that takes you from the bar upstairs to – bit of a speakeasy Japanesey vibe yep. um so tell us a little bit about the extension of that because it feels like somewhere that you could feasibly come for some after work drinks have dinner and then maybe leave after midnight absolutely <laughs> Was that an intention? that's exactly attention you know what you could even get lost in that building and just turn up for next turn up, up the breakfast. next day <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about seven tales so Seven Tails is our, our, the second bar in the building. So you've got the City Social main bar, which you, which you can drink before and after amazing views of the palm. And then we have a space directly above the staircase called Seven Tails. And it's based on the Seven Tales of the Samurai, which is a story told to children in Japan. So they don't ever lose the religion of what the samurai uh, soldier was back in the day. And each samurai has a name and we uh, make a cocktail to honour that samurai. So it's a lot of fun. And then you said off air you're going to be back over the summer because you're cooking up another project in the same we space, are. also in, in Grosvenor House. We are. What's going to be coming? Well, we've got a small, very unique restaurant coming, um, boutique, seven to, to 22 seats only. Wow. Um, it will be a long tasting menu. Um, I've dreamt of cooking like this from being a small boy. This will be the first time I've ever cooked like this. So I'm extremely excited. We are building one in London at the same time, but that will open much later, probably in about nine months' time. And they both carry the same name, and they'll be the only two fine dining restaurants, like mega fine dining restaurants. I was going to say next level fine dining. What we own globally, and they will only ever exist in London and Dubai. So So just 22? 22 seats. Tell us a little bit about from the diner's experience. Are you you or, you know, you've got your head chef when you're you're not here, going to be... Face to face, is it going to be plated at sap- talk about it? It's you- all done. So you're only ever served by chefs and sommeliers. Wow. Um, we do it. It's literally a, a journey through some of the best ingredients on the planet and um, how we interpretate that. Um, and then I don't want to give too much away because I want you to invite me back in in September <laughs> to go through no every doubt. single dish no in doubt. detail. And we'll invite you along to experience it, of course. And it's going to be... All I'm going to say, it's going to be mind-blowing, I think. Aaron's here saying, I've been to almost all of Jason's restaurants in London and City Social absolutely lives up to what you'd expect from his places back there. The food and staff were outstanding. What's his name? Aaron. Aaron gets 500 dirhams to spend at Spinners. (laughs) 
he hasn't sent a pun in yet. <laughs> Lastly, I was going to say what's next for you, but what's got you excited? I know you're someone who loves traveling. Are you thinking yeah. more international? What's your plan? We're doing, you know, I, I just think what's going on here in Dubai is just, it's unbelievable. I, I, I took so much pride being, a, you know, I'll be completely truthful. When I lived here from 2000 to 2005, I had to go home. Because I was a young chef, I was, I was super ambitious, I really wanted to prove what I could do culinary. And probably London was the place to do that. Yeah. It's all changed now. And I, you know, of course we had amazing things like what's on, time out, that type of stuff. But ultimately Michelin still is the holy grail for, for chefs, right? And we, to stand there on Tuesday and watch homegrown talent at like Moonrise and Tristan Studios and all these great guys who were just cooking cooking up a storm in this city i almost you know felt a real pride that i was here in the early years mm-hmm. um and just watching this these young kids who were probably even weren't even born then uh, now flourishing in this beautiful city i just thought wow this is just awe inspiring and now i get to be part of that all over again giving me goosebumps chef jason Nathan, thank you so much city social is open dinner service tonight brunch tomorrow and if we only order one thing from the menu to get you on a plate chef what are we having one thing on the menu i've just come up with this and it doesn't sound very exciting but when you eat it i want you to come in the kitchen and thank me <laughs> Okay. For what the inside information I want to give you, we do this smoked beetroot dish with a pickled beetroot carpaccio with fukajura, which is like a, a sweet, savory seaweed we found from Japan. And we make a dressing from that with, uh, with miso mayonnaise and beetroot uh, puree. When you taste it, it is just mind-blowingly good. Chase, Jason Atherton, thank you so much, Chef. Always an absolute pleasure. I was going to say come back, there's no doubt. He's got his golden visa, won't we be able to get rid of him? Chef, you're an absolute superstar as ever. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. It is Friday afternoon and it's getting a little bit warm out there, it's safe to say. So how could and should we perhaps adjusting what we eat during the warmer months? Eating lighter when it's hotter. Really essential towards your well-being because you can, of course, risk dehydration, indigestion, food poisoning and even deficiencies in vital vitamins and minerals. So what should we be consuming? Joining us now is Chef Kanchana from Cuckoo, who's going to help us find out how to stop going cuckoo in the summer heat with some cooling recipes and ideas. How are you, Chef? I am good. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks for asking. Chef, you're originally from Sri Lanka. Tell us a little bit about what you were eating growing up. Yes, I'm from Sri Lanka. Yeah. And um, I'm a long time in Dubai, like I'm working as a head chef in Cuckoo. So, and that's the simple thing. Tell us something about what we should be eating in the summer. What are some of the, like a, what, what are some things you need to change in terms of your diet to eat with the seasons as, as a, a lot of chefs like us to do? Uh, like normally, like uh, in the summer, like uh, me, I just prepare to go like uh, uh, Mediterranean-style functional salad, uh, I think it's uh, very light and uh, is a good flavor and very easy to make. How do so, we make it? Now, you say this. I'm I'm someone who is a... I love eating. I'm a terrible uh-huh. cook. So when... So I'm awful in the kitchen. So when you say it's easy to make, tell us uh-huh. exactly what we're doing. Uh, like... A, Okay, like a simply like a, you need like a, like a few ingredients. You know, these are all about you need like a, any kind of cherry tomatoes, dry apricots, some goat cheese, crunchy bread, and nice basil leaves, and olive oil, 
and uh, balance and everything some uh, slice of chili. That sounds, okay. that sounds delicious. I think I could do that. Is that on the menu at Cuckoo? Or is that something you've just created for us? What? Tell us about I some of your favourites. Actually, this is my favourite. It's not in the menu yet. Hmm? Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it's very simple to make. Even like uh, this, like you, we can make like uh, five steps. Everything make it happen quickly. So as I told you, like uh, you get the cherry tomato, you cut in either two or cut in the four. Yeah, you will marinate with uh, salt, sugar, olive oil, and you keep on the side. And uh, and next, the the crunchy bread, you will cut in small pieces, and you will add into cherry tomato. Come on, okay. that sounds that sounds. I think I could do that. My kids could do that. Tell us about the menu then at Cuckoo and, and uh, some of your favorites. What's what's proving to be popular with you? Uh, the cuckoo, like uh, everything, is uh, is popular. But for me, basically, like I like um, avocado guacamole, uh, uh, something very simple salad and very healthy. So normally, uh, I like that. Then there is watermelon feta, mm. and this one also personally, I really like it. The Mediterranean raw bar looks amazing. I had a quick look on the on the menu earlier. So you've got truffle tuna tartare, you've got smoked salmon carpaccio, yeltel ceviche. Uh-huh. So this is exactly what I'm in the mood for when the weather starts getting a little bit hotter. So good hydration, but also some good food. Chef, thank you. You made me hungry. Your your work here is done. Chef Kanchana, thank you so much for your time. Cuckoo is there on the palm. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Talking food, of course, it's Friday afternoon and joining us now from Spinneys is Karen D'Souza, the Deputy Content Editor. And a brand new issue of Nourish magazine is on the shelves now. It's the Italian issue. We're going to be talking about some family-friendly pizza places in the UAE and where you can even make your own. But before we get to that, Karen, I'm always keen to get the... The industry insiders take. Now, you cannot win our prize of 500 dirhams to spend in store, but everyone listening today can. But I'm curious. Now, you have your office literally above the Maidan store, so you're, you, you see everything all day, every day. What would you be putting into your trolley if you won that voucher? Oh, oh my gosh. It's such a, such a temptation every single day. Um, <laughs> I mean, I usually head straight down to the crisp or the chocolate uh, section, mm-hmm. depending on how I feel. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I'm trying to be uh, a little healthy, I would generally go and pick up um, the pluots um, and mangoes. Um, and I love spinach, raisin and walnut bread. I love that as well. So, Toasted yes, that's with my some favorite. butter. With, with butter. Me too. Do you know what? Oh, I'm going to have to get some now. I, I got some of that beautiful um, <laughs> and, butter with crystals um, in it the other day, and I was like, oh, that would be nice on yes. the walnut and raisin. Yeah, I love that bread. Um, and then, of course, some um, uh, cheese and uh, salmon. So I love I love baking salmon, just a simple soy sauce and honey um, sort of glaze. Yeah, pop that into the oven. Oh, um, I'm impressed. Yeah. Okay, your 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 shopping list is sorted. As I said, you can't win the prize, but we're loving the messages coming through. I know. I'm got it. Sorry, Karen. <laughs> um, interestingly, I was in Spinneys this morning. Actually, I mean to be fair, I'm in, I'm in most days. I went earlier this week. We had some people over. We thought, what are we going to do for dessert? So we got the kids to make some brownies, and we just had brownies and berries. And I was literally going around sniffing boxes of strawberries because it made me feel <laughs> it made me feel like I was at home. 
in in the UK because that to me is the smell of summer. There's a, a, a where I'm from in Northumberland. There's a, a farm called Brock's Bushes, and it's this. It's like a pick your own farm, and most teenagers will have worked there at some point. You know, earning some money just for mm-hmm. you know th- that they sell in the farm shop. But a lot of families come, and you you know you get your punnet and you pick your own. And there's black currants and strawberries, and it's 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 bliss. So the smell of the strawberries in store right now took me right back to to English summer. And that's what we're talking about today. Uh, We're going to be talking about actually Scottish strawberries. Where are they grown exactly? Yes. So um, they are grown in the north, on the northeast coast in the county called Angus. Um, It's a place called Arbroath. Um, It's right by the North Sea. And surprisingly, they have a they have a microclimate over there, so it's not well, always um, raining. It's not always grey. Um, we visited the farm up there uh, recently. In fact, we were there two weeks ago, and it was bright, bright, clear sunshine. Wow. Um, we were driving past on the coast, and the sea was actually glittering like silver. Um, it was so bright, and it was so beautiful. And I really couldn't tell that we were in Scotland. Wow. Well, I didn't want to insult any of our Scottish listeners, but I, I don't think of Scotland necessarily being the most ideal growing conditions for these beautiful, delicate berries. But exactly, who knew exactly. there's, a, there's a microclimate? Interestingly, I just wanted to ask you, um, is this um, the same family? And I saw on your Instagram a while ago, a man in a kilt in the yes. supermarket. Is this, is this yes. the same family? So that's the farmer's um, the, the farmer's son, actually. Um, well, Lockie is not only a farmer; he's also a great businessman. And we visited his his farm. He started Angus Soft Fruits with his father and his father's cousin back in 1991. So Lockie um, took us around his one of his strawberry farms. Um, he was ta- I mean, showing us everything that they grow, and he and he, they don't, they don't only grow strawberries; they also grow a variety of other berries. But um, we we are getting our Scottish strawberries from his farm um, in East Seaton, which is in Arbroath. And uh, he was telling us about the microclimate and how they have long summer days with, a lot, with plenty of sunshine. Doesn't rain too often. Um, they have cooler nighttime temperatures. So all those things combined actually impact the flavor of the fruit that they grow. Um, and who knew all these things go into making a great strawberry? Wow. And the, and the taste in terms of sweetness, what so can you great. expect? So he's obviously grown many varieties of strawberries throughout his long career. And at present, uh, he's growing a variety called Magnum, and that's what they're getting into store. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tasted them. Brilliant. Absolutely sweet throughout. It has a deep, rich color. Um, so if you cut it in half, you're going to see red throughout, basically. Um, it's exceptionally sweet with a slight bit of acid- acidity, which gives us a great like, taste balance. Um, Karen, um, I want to know a little bit more about what that place is like, about about this this farm. Tell us, tell us a little bit about the experience of visiting and were there any I don't know I guess surprises in terms of the location or even the methods used for growing picking packing things like that yeah so um, you, you go into a farm I mean it's nothing grown on the on the ground anymore um, it's it's um, they grow them on these elevated tables in plastic tunnels 
Um, that's to sort of um, protect the crop from uh, harsh harsh weather conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also easier for the pickers if, if everything is on an elevated table instead of them having to bend all day. And yes, I'm sure lots of the <laughs> lots of the people that I was picking strawberries with are now prematurely aging because of the working <laughs> conditions at Broxbush's farm. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's what Lockie was saying. No one wants to really, you know, um, be, be bending all day to pick up a fruit. So this is easier for them to, uh, to pick. Um, makes for a happy, happier working environment as well, and um, so, the, so they are all, so, they, so they're grown in these really long plastic tunnels, multiple tunnels throughout the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, the farm, the the tunnels can obviously be ventilated every time they need to sort of reduce the temperature. If it's too sunny one day, or if there's, um, or if the the tunnels need to be cooled down, this allows the wind in. Um, so and and then they have a pack house as well, obviously several pack houses. And what struck me was most of the workers in the pack house were women. Okay. Um, so I asked the the pack house manager, "Why do you all have only women doing all this work?" And yes, he said, thank you. "Women actually have a much gentler touch, um, and they know how to sort of handle the berries, um, and they are more conscientious." Oh. Well, I'm not going to disagree. So, so soft hands and a gentle touch. Now, I need to ask a question, and I, um, I guess it's about sustainability, and that's you know when we're thinking about bringing things over. Um, yeah. But also, I mean, you also sell a lot of. I had some amazing local tomatoes from Spinney's last week. But you also have the elite berries. But in terms of bringing over um, berries and other produce from far flung destinations. How are they kind of offsetting um, on site and, and how do you kind of factor that in as well? Yeah, so so they have uh, invested in solar energy and their pack, their, the roofs of all their pack houses have solar panels. So that's a renewable form of energy, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then um, in terms of their plastic punnets, uh, four out of five punnets are made from uh, recycled plastic. And uh, most of the uh, punnets no longer have those little bubble pads in them mm-hmm. that we've seen in, in, in previous years. So they, they are doing their best to reduce the use of plastic. Um, and they're also currently looking into investing in uh, electric vehicles to drive around the farm. Um, so those are some of the things that, that they are working on right now. They're investing in. And how long does it take them to actually get here from northeast Scottish coast? Um, within 48 hours, actually, uh, we saw a whole a whole batch being picked and then sorted in the pack house, and then the truck actually pull out and head towards Heathrow. Gosh, that's amazing! Well, I have to say, I've thoroughly enjoyed some spinny strawberries this week. So, thank you for bringing them to store. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8 with Spinnies. Eat well, live well. Fantastic to have you with us this Friday afternoon. I hope you're having a great one and. If your household is anything like mine, you're probably having pizza at least once, maybe twice a week. My six-year-old would have it every single day if she could, and I completely understand that. Karen D'Souza is with us today from Spinney's. The new issue of Nourish magazine is on the shelves now, and it's about all things Italy. Last week, we were speaking with Tiffany about pasta. And now, family-friendly pizza places. And some of our favourites, Karen, are now, as I said, I love, love, love pizza. I, I like it posh. I like it... Um, homemade. My, I bought my husband an uni um, last year and it is the, the gift that keeps on giving. So if you are stuck for a present, buy your partner a pizza oven. Um, Karen, what I about think, you? Yeah, I think that's a, da- that's a dangerous proposition in my <laughs> house because my husband will have pizza for every single meal if I gave him the chance. Well, it, it really, the only thing is, and I hope Nick's not listening, 
Um, the level of nerdery around this thing is quite extreme. <laughs> we're talking about temperatures, we're talking about semolina, about stones, about dough mixes. And I've overheard a few conversations with him and an Italian friend and a South African friend. And you know, it's it's very serious stuff. So I'm let them, I'm let them do the talking, and I'm just going to do the eating. Um, so for uh, for kind of having. Having it out and about, though, Karen, where are some of your favourite places to get a slice or a whole or a whole pizza? Um, I would have to say Pitfire. That's um, tried and tested, always great. Um, yeah, and I'm a stickler for sticking to something that I know is good. Do you know what? I, time again. I know that you guys um, are big Pitfire fans, uh, fans, and I think Michelle was actually speaking to you guys recently as well. Um, that for anyone that doesn't know the origin story of Pitfire Pizza, it was Bill and Michelle who literally started this company from their garage in Arabian ranches. And they were speaking to, you know, friends about, you know, Stuart, can we get some of your tomatoes? And what's grown now is several locations, including a timeout market and some really cool collaborations as well. They they work with, you know, other bloggers and chefs to come up with some really cool combinations and limited editions. So I'm with you. They also um, have the garlic knots and no order yeah, because, is, yeah, is because complete. When I was growing up, there, there weren't too many options, actually. It was the usual chains, um, Pizza Hut, Domino's, um, I think a couple of others, Papa John's. Papa John's, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I remember coming to Dubai about it was about sixteen years ago, and it was the classic, you know, Thursday afternoon pizza party in the kitchen, and having a chicken tikka Papa John's pizza and being like, "Wow, <laughs> Dubai is weird." <laughs> this, this 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 was completely unknown to me. Um, but for me, I think about well, for one, if you're getting out and about, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Laborata um, in Russell Kamer, unbelievable pizza, like roadside restaurant, really excellent. And then I think a lot of hearts broke when Bread Ahead left Dubai. Um, it was the big culinary hit for many at Expo 2020, and it really just served up pizza and donuts. And then it left, and now it's back. So it's at Mall no, of the Emirates now. So um, if you haven't been there yet, it's brilliant. They've got, I mean, the fluffiest donuts. They've got like a, even a scientific equation about how much filling goes in and exactly how much weight they want in that, you know, that raspberry jam or the pistachio. Oh gosh, I, I love the, their lemon curd Me um, too. Donut. It reminds me of the old-fashioned lemon curd I used to have when I was a little girl. Oh, just amazing. Um, I was at Pizza Express at the weekend with my daughter and there was a kid's party going on and it made me think, actually, that would be a brilliant party because you can, the kids make their own pizza, they get an apron and a hat, you know, it's, and they actually have brought a kid's entertainer in. So I thought that was, thought that was a good one. And I'm probably going to regret sharing this with the group. Um, <laughs> however, um, and producer Poonam will back me up on this. Blue, B-L-U, it's in Fishing Harbour in Umsakim, and it's really small. There's probably only about 10 tables outside and about five in, um, inside. And it's um, really, really, really charred wood-fired pizza. They've only got, I think, seven different toppings on the menu. They've got this truffle-laden tartuffa. They've got San Marzano tomatoes. Amazing, amazing ingredients. And you can just look out over the water, watch people coming in on their jet skis, it opens at six. That's, the, that's my only complaint because we eat a little bit earlier with my six-year-old. But BLU, and if I can't get a table, um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I might have to take this off the podcast. Cause I don't want to get, I don't want it to get too too busy. Um, Karen, what else is new in store right now? What's got you excited? So 
So you just mentioned San Marzano, and we are actually bringing in a completely new range of tomatoes. Um, look out for it over the next, the coming week and the week after. Um, we've got mini San Marzano tomatoes, baby plum tomatoes, um, cherry, piccolo cherry tomatoes on the vine, um, larger tomatoes on the vine. Um, and they're all from the UK and the Netherlands. Um, they're all for different uh, different cooking mediums. Some of them are great for making sauces and sauces and stews, and some are great for uh, simply snacking. Um, some are great for salads and sandwiches. So um, yeah, look Some out for freshness. our new range. Um, Spinney's is taking care of my lunch today. I was in store this morning um, and bought myself a sandwich, and I was like, "Do you know what? I really would like." a sandwich for less than 10 dirhams that's coronation chicken sandwich and it was absolutely delicious so thank you for that um that was in no way planned it just uh just happened to be that I was in spinnies and i thought shout out to whoever's coming up with some really good value sandwiches because it was absolutely delicious karen thank you so much for your time today i think we've definitely uh, got people craving some scottish strawberries and some cream and yeah some pizza as well have a lovely lovely weekend ahead take thank care you. of yourself you too bye-bye. bye bye this is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, earlier this week, Michelin announced its 2023 Guide for Dubai. And joining us now, Samantha Wood, a.k.a. Food Diva. Reflecting on the winners, who may be as conspicuous by their absence, and which restaurants are ultimately worth a visit. And I'd love to get your take on this, guys. Is this something that you follow really closely and then make bookings off the back of? Or is it simply like a... Interesting, not really relevant to my life. 4001. Message here saying it used to influence me until this last round of Michelin. They were given, some were given out or a joke, and others most definitely should have received at least a bib gourmand. Well, industry insider Samantha Wood joining us now to give her take. How are you? Hello, Helen. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm really well, thank you for asking. It's been a really interesting week. Lots of chatter, um, not only on Tuesday when they announced the press conference and had the gala dinner that night, but just in terms of, you know, is it is it valuable? Is this useful? Um, what impact has Michelin had in the last year? And I think that's really what I want to start with you before we get to the nitty gritty of this year's guide and who got stars and who's been who's got the nod. What impact do you think Michelin's presence has had on Dubai over the last 12 months? I think Michelin, along with 50 Best, does put Dubai on the on the global culinary map. So 100 percent, it's a great story for Dubai. And um, but I think primarily it's geared towards, especially Michelin in particular, is geared towards the tourists. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately the people here, the foodies, they know they know where to eat. They know who to follow for more localized recommendations. That's a really interesting distinction um, because, as you say, Michelin's got this international reputation. So if anyone's you know planning a trip to Tokyo or Spain, you know that perhaps would be their go-to in terms of where to eat. And equally, people coming in from you know different parts of the world into Dubai, that's going to be your known reference point for this you know prediction of quality, for want of a better phrase. So, what was your what were your ex, what were your expectations for the for the second installation that we that we got this week? What, did you have any kind of clues or ideas of what might unfold? Um, I am always very hopeful that homegrown is going to rule the roost. But there's quite a lot to unpack from this year's Michelin, actually, more so, I think, than last year. Mm -hmm. I think, firstly, if we look at the top cuts, so that's the stars, 
the Bib Gourmet and the Special Awards. So leaving out the, the selected restaurants that just sort of make an entry in the guide. But if we look at those, there were 36 restaurants. Now, the number of independently operated homegrown restaurants has almost doubled from last year. Courtesy. So that's great. Mm-hmm. And that's courtesy primarily of the Bib Gourmand category. So we had 19 of those, 19 independent homegrown concepts versus 11 last year. However, of the one and two stars, there were 14 and only four of those were independent. Mm. Um, so that's one sort of key point to make. Secondly, it was wonderful to see more green stars um, for Boca and Table to finally be recognized Absolutely. at a global level for their game-changing sustainability work. Um, thirdly, and this was the big disappointment, and I think you alluded to it earlier, the two Atlantis hotels, one of which was the host venue, they scooped six accolades in the top cut which really, it really begs the question as to how restaurants that have only been open for three months can win awards, including a one-star, as good as they might be in mm-hmm. that three-month period. Mm-hmm. That, that, to me, is questionable. Also, Michelin, for the first time in, a, in its 100-year history, created a new opening category, category. And again, Atlantis gets another win there. And that, to me, um, is questionable and really does. Unfortunately, it does discredit Michelin in the eyes of the local community. We've got Samantha Wood with us this afternoon. What are your thoughts? Um, and anywhere that you think should have got a nod, a star, let me know on 4001. I mean, to me, um, you're, you're absolutely you know, on, on the money there when it comes to Michelin isn't necessarily where I go to. You know, get an understanding of where's great to eat in the city. It's it's you, it's writers, it's other kind of insiders, and and I also a lot of the places that get stars aren't necessarily places that fit my budget or indeed my tastes. Mm-hmm. So for me, the Bib Gourmand category is the one that I find really interesting because I think that's where there's some really exciting up and comers. We're seeing, as you said there, some fantastic homegrown concepts and 19 um, there, as you said, um, kind of being being recognised. Um, it was in, actually. In- um- Sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the bib, it was actually 17, 17. concepts, okay. and 14 out of those were homegrown. Which is amazing. Um, including and, the, yeah. and then we, we're, still, we're seeing 21 grams get, getting a nod there. Yeah, uh, yeah three they were fills, a um, you know, Orfali, Neneve, Reef, um, Table, as you say, getting, getting that, uh, that green nod as well as being in the bib. Go on. Now, let's do a quick run through for anyone that hasn't heard this week. Um, now, one, well, there was one chef of the night, really, on Tuesday that everyone was going up to, clapping on the back and saying, my goodness, congratulations, you've gone from one star to two. Tell us a little bit about that, because I feel like that was the big story for a lot of people this week. Yeah, and I think, again, that's another homegrown accolade as well. And um, Tresind went up from one to two stars, um, which is fantastic. Actually, we had three restaurants that rose in ranking. No restaurants were downgraded. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think Himanshu, it's an amazing accolade from him to have gone from one to two. And in particular, as the other two stars in the category were all imported concepts. Mm -hmm. So you had Nico Romito at Bulgari, and Yannicka Leno at one and only the Palm. So to have that homegrown representation in the two-star category is, is also fantastic. Yeah. Well, do you feel like there's any restaurants or indeed chefs that deserve some recognition that perhaps didn't get it this year? I think the, the biggest surprise, and this was, 
the biblical man was announced a week earlier, which mm-hmm. caught us all by surprise. That never happens in any other market. Um, I'm not quite sure what their strategy was behind it because they also weren't included in the ceremonies, neither the press conference or the gala dinner. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a sort of key learning for for everyone for next year. But um, the big surprise was everyone expected Orfali to get a star this year, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's he's it's deserving. But the one thing I'll question: Bib Gurma is always about value for money. So sometimes, perhaps, if you're affordable, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot because um, you have to fill in an online form, and on, in that form, you'll you'll put your average price per person, and if it falls underneath a threshold, I think perhaps the, um, the powers that be say, okay, actually we'll give them it's a quite instead. affordable, let's stick in a bit. But that's so interesting, isn't it? I'm not telling it? everyone to <laughs> raise their No, price. don't, Samantha, no, don't. <laughs> Cost of living crisis, don't put up your prices unless you absolutely have to. But is that the case internationally then? Because when we look at Michelin Awards around the world and you've got, you know, hawker stands in Singapore that have stars which presumably are very, very affordable. Um, yes, and actually, I'm going to Bangkok next week, Ooh. and I'm going to um, one of the one-star ones for their, the famous crab omelettes that you have to queue for and pay a fortune for. <laughs> <laughs> Please report back. And on this matter, yes. saying Jun's should have got a star or Fali is great, but wonder if the atmosphere isn't Michelin enough. Um, I think that geographic difference is, is, a, is, a, is a really interesting point. So please report back. What do you take there about, about Jun's? Again, it hasn't been open that long, but certainly longer than some that did get a star this year. Yeah, I mean, Jun's was an okay. Jun's has only been open 10 months. But, you know, I mean, they, obviously, as we've seen, their restaurants have been open three months. Um, 11 Woodfire last year was only open a few months and mm. it got one star. So I think there's a, a little bit of, there's a lot of discrepancies here. Jun's is fantastic. I think it's deserving of a one star. I hope it gets it next year. Me too. Um, but uh, they did make the guide in terms of the, sele- um, the select. But um, yeah, I guess there's, there's room for them now to certainly move, move up the list. I'd like somewhere that serves chicken and waffles to get a star. Let's make it happen for 2024. Samantha Wood, thank you so much. <laughs> um, you can be found there at Food Diva. Um, what have you got coming up in terms of any dinners or collaborations that we should know about? If we do want to meet uh, you and go on some of your fantastic recommendations. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm actually doing one um, with, uh, with Bubbles, actually. Um, so that's on the 20th of June. It is ticketed. Actually, tickets went on sale a couple of days ago um, to subscribers of um, my database and my website. But if anyone does want to sign up for it, for it, they can just message me on Instagram at Fudiba and I'll send them the details. Amazing. Well, enjoy your travels. Please report back. Love following you for your very real take and totally impartial restaurant reviews. Samantha Wood, aka Fudiba, always an absolute pleasure. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We love introducing you to the chefs, the tastemakers, the industry insiders and the restaurateurs as well. Joining us now live on the line, Aisha Altamimi is leading her own creative agency called Studio Untitled. And it focuses on supporting local concepts and businesses. And one of them is the newly launched Belly Cafe at City Walk, which is an exploration of new world cuisine, which I'm going to come to in just a few minutes because... Aisha, I want to hear about you first. How are you today? Hi. Hi, Helen. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks for asking. Tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? 
Um, first of all, uh, thank you, uh, Helen, for having me on your show. Um, I'm actually Emirati and I've uh, grown up in Dubai um, and I'm an actual um, um, designer, (laughs) which is very far from the F&B industry, but it was always a calling. (laughs) Well, I'm curious how these these paths converge, but growing up in Dubai, what were some of your favourite places to go on? Are any of them still around that we could go to as well? Actually, my whole inspiration around the F&B um, within Dubai started with the street food and the local uh, and the local um, uh, food places that we used to have, and these um, uh, local markets that used to inspire the taste buds. Mm-hmm. And what about? I understand you worked at Expo 2020 Dubai. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What was what was that like to see your city really in the spotlight? Um, this uh, by far was the most amazing experience I've had <laughs> within my 29 years growing up. Um, honestly, um, it was um, it was interesting seeing all the cultures mm-hmm. and all the countries merge and introduce different things. And one of the most interesting things actually that happened within the expo uh, was the F&B and lots of the and a lot of chefs that came and introduced their recipes and uh, their um, uh, they're like um, uh, special dishes around and it was a great networking event. It was, I'm glad you mentioned food there because we were we had a studio at Expo 2020 and it was a real highlight for me to go there every single Thursday and try and Definitely. eat my way around <laughs> the world, you know, from Ankibulan, the African dining hall to, we were just talking about pizza early in the show, you know, bread ahead and donuts there and Belgian frites and waffles. It was, it was a real celebration and I think food became this tool for connection and celebration. We're lucky enough that some of those places are coming back to Dubai after using Expo 2020 as a bit of a, a testing ground. So it was, it was fantastic on that front. When it comes to creating concepts, though, Aisha, I'm curious, you know, and we will be talking about Better Cafe um, very soon. How do you begin to start to identify what Dubai is missing? Because we are really lucky here. This, it seems like there's, we've got it all. So what, how do you start to identify, well, what else could we have? Um, I think within Dubai, people look for a 360 experiences and it's no longer about a missing factor that they are looking for. Um, so they look for those tailored um, like experiences that can actually inspire them, whether it's des- from design, storytelling, um, even uh, choosing the chef, mm-hmm. uh, curating the menu itself. And I think people are more aware by now um, and they're looking for for like the whole story and they're no longer looking for like pieces of puzzles that they are missing so it's about everything coming together and being meaningful really for for one of a better phrase um can we talk about food i don't really know what new world cuisine is can you tell us exactly what what your mission is with this with this cafe Uh, Sure. So uh, basically, the New World Cuisine, um, it's an exciting and innovative concept. Um, it basically takes the diners on a journey around the globe. Um, it's more like fusional, international, but still creative. And what we're trying to do is um, we're trying to feature the familiar favorites and uh, we're trying to like bring them in a reimagined and innovative way. Ooh. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. 
Aisha Altamimi with us today. Um, new, talking about the newly launched Abeli Cafe. It's in City Walk, an exploration of new world cuisine. And I'm, I'd love you to talk us through some of your favourites on the menu, Aisha, because it sounds super creative. As you said, a fusion there, but the names as well. Tell us up some of your faves. Uh, yeah, sure. So under the day, we have a really curated menu which offers distinctive items that can be viewed yeah, view as signatures on their own. Um, but not only we try to distinguish them through the recipe and through the ingredients that we bring together, but also through the naming strategy that we uh, that we developed. Um, one of the one of the favorites uh, that we have for breakfast is the salty waffle, which features a reimagined potato waffle mm-hmm. with this creamy avocado spread topped with poached eggs, and it's definitely not your typical Benedict. Oh, I love this. Um, tell me about this mermaid, because I'm, I'm worried we're talking about endangered species. There's a white mermaid on the menu that <laughs> I hope is, is a fish. <laughs> <laughs> so we've also got that uh, white mermaid, which is basically a sea bath, and it's topped with white chocolate sauce uh, with this side of green apple salad, and it's mixed with ginger. Um, the ingredients are just popping on that plate. Oh, tell us about your chef then, Niazi Al-Badri. How did you find him and, and why did you choose him? Uh, we actually met by coincidence <laughs> um, through one of the consultants that helped me set uh, the um, um, brand of Obelai. And um, uh, Niazi is a Mexican-Lebanese self-made chef. Hang on, say and that again. He- He's Mexican-Lebanese. Yeah, uh, he's he's actually the the image of the brand. <laughs> really? Oh my goodness! Tell us a little bit about him. Uh, sure. So, um, as I mentioned, he's self-made chef. He's self-taught, and he sculpted his um, his pathway through basically his love of street food. Um, he has prior experiences in fusion cuisines, and he also shares the same passion where he enjoys bringing together some cultures mm-hmm. um, and experiences from around the globe. Um, and what I really appreciate about uh, Niazi is that um, he finds his inspiration in the local recipes and the food stories, mm-hmm. and he spends a lot of time blending emotions and experiences um, and translating them into recipes. Now, I love going out to eat, but it's not just about the food. I, you know, I go out to be in a different space and a bit of escapism and maybe a bit of people watching and eavesdropping as well. Tell us about the aesthetic of the spaces. You know, you as a designer, this must be a real priority for you. What can you describe it for us? Um, so the space actually, it has a unique blend of um, of luxury, yet still maintaining the minimalism factor to it. It has a lot and weaves a lot of natural elements like wood, wood, stone and marble into the design. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very balanced and harmonious space. Even the color palette that we have chosen actually is dominated by the soft and nude earthy tones. Uh, we tried as much as possible to set um, uh, the scene for the diners to make it a very serene um, atmosphere. Feeling relaxed just hearing about it. So when it comes to your advice for anyone else that wants to get into this industry, because a lot of people think about it, you know, I'm sure most people listening today have thought, well, I like eating out. I like food. You know, I'd, I think I could have a, a good go at a restaurant or a cafe, or I like the idea of being, you know, a maitre d' or welcoming people and this hospitality idea. The reality, I mean, we were just talking earlier to, to Chef Jason Nathan about you know, the reality of running a restaurant is very different. It is, in essence, a business. Um, what, what have your, some of your kind of key learnings been so far? 
Um, honestly, um, I've started researching uh, within the F&B industry starting 2020. And it was a very long journey coming up with the whole story. And mm-hmm. I think um, a key advice here is to know your why. <laughs> why you're opening the business. I'm sure like your major why is it's a business end of the day and people will jump into the market, um, invest and, and hope for the, the ROIs. But still, people, it's a hospitality um, industry and people are looking for value. So you need to understand why are you offering them? Mm-hmm. What are you offering them? And kind of build a whole story around it so people can actually listen to you. And connect. And not, not just become, yeah, not just, because, I mean, especially in Dubai, you mentioned earlier, there's a lot, and Dubai is a platform for a lot of uh, the SMBs and a lot of the stores that are, they keep on opening day by day. Mm-hmm. Yet not everyone has a story to tell. Well, thank you for sharing yours this afternoon. We've had a number of messages going, where, where, where? It's in City Walk. Um, if you want to send me the word cafe, I'd be very happy to send you the link. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Prepare to feel very hungry indeed and have some very sweet cravings. We are talking chocolate now. Willy Wonka alive and well, the one and only Jonathan Graham. He is the CEO, creative director and founder of Compadre's Chocolatier. It's now launched here in Dubai. Um, he was named one of Forbes 30 under 30 and as he's spending the week in the sunny UAE, hopefully not melting or chocolate melting too. Jonathan, how are you? <laughs> I'm excellent. I'm so happy to be here. I absolutely love Dubai and so far so good. We've had no melted chocolate. Phew. Well, unless we want it to melt in our mouth. We are going to be talking how to taste, about flavours, but I'd love to hear a little bit about the origin story. You joined, to my understanding, the company when you were just a teenager, just 15. How did you get into the chocolate business? Tell us everything. So Compartes has actually been in business since 1950. It's a heritage brand. We've been in Los Angeles for, you know, almost 75 years, hand-making everything from scratch. So the original owner was called Mr. and Mrs. Compartes, and uh, they were in the entertainment business as well and had the chocolate company. And my family was also in the entertainment business. And my grandma and dad bought it from Mr. and Mrs. Compartes. And I worked there, you know, throughout high school and things like that. And I have just such a love of food. I'm a huge foodie. I love fashion, design, style, and art. And, uh, you know, basically, I bought the company from my family when I was 19 years old. Wow. And I started... Yeah, it's been in business so long. It, you know, it was a traditional chocolate shop, so it was a little bit um, more old school, yeah, and I started to modernize it. You've yeah, really modernized it, a, it. I mean, I have to say, for anyone that hasn't seen, you know, the artwork on the chocolate, I mean, the store we're going to be talking about, you're really marrying that idea of kind of fashion and, and flavor. You know, we know that we, we eat with our eyes first. Um, tell us a little bit about bringing those two passions of yours together. Absolutely. Well, yes, exactly like you said, people eat with their eyes first. So I wanted to create a product that's going to jump out at people, that's going to be unique on the shelf. If it's in line with another chocolate, what makes you go for ours over someone else's? Mm -hmm. It's the packaging. So I wanted to create something beautiful, but also not something that just looks good, but tastes good at the same time. So our chocolate's the only chocolate to ever get a perfect score from Bon Appetit. It's been the most favorited Oprah favorite things in the history of Oprah. It was just on a a holiday list. Talk about seal of approval from Oprah and Martha Stewart as well, I believe. Like two serious tastemakers. A thousand percent. And that's, you know, something that has really been 
encouraging and exciting as as this journey where I've created this amazing brand and all these recipes and and packaging is how it's resonated with people. Mm -hmm. People always tell me they remember their first bite of Compartes, where they were, who gave it to them. And that's just, you know, that again shows the power of such an amazing brand. Okay, let's talk taste. Um, I want to know about some of your inspirations. I understand locations. LA is a big source of inspiration. Talk us through nostalgia and you know, travel and how you translate that to the chocolate. Absolutely. So Compartes is really a brand, like you said, based on nostalgia. So I take flavors that people know and love and I elevate them into a gourmet chocolate confection. So we have our donut and coffee chocolate bar, which is one of our best sellers. And we literally are taking donuts from LA's best donut shop and putting them directly into the donut bar. It's, it's like, unlike anything you've ever tasted, we have a strawberry shortcake bar, which is kind of my riff on uh, an ice cream that I liked as a child. So we're taking a lot of flavors that people can understand. We're not doing, you know, curry and, and weird things. We mm-hmm. take things people love and we just cover them in chocolate and make them better <laughs> than they've ever tried them before. Um, tell us then about your personal favorites, because I, I, I hope you've got a sweet tooth and that, that working in this business hasn't diminished that. Well, you know, I, it would be like picking a favorite child. So I don't know if I can say which favorite bar, but I love the cookies and cream bar. Um, I, you know, I really love all the newest ones. A part of Comparte's brand as well is we're constantly releasing new items to keep it exciting for the fans. So when you visit our website or any of our stores, you're always seeing something new. And I always seem to like the newest one because I'm excited about it most. And then I go and make create the next one. So I design all the packaging and flavors, and it's really my passion and I love to do it, and I'm constantly evolving, just like my brand is evolving. Tell us about flavors that haven't worked. We've had an idea, and we're like, oh, we should take that to the kitchen. Let's, <laughs> let's work on that. And you're like, oh, that was a really, really bad idea. You know what? I don't know that any haven't worked. You know why really? everything tastes better? I mean, doesn't everything taste better with chocolate? Yes. We, you know what? We just released in the USA a Velveeta cheese chocolate. It went viral. This is last week. It was on Good Morning America, the Today Show. It was all over the place, and it sold out in two days. I don't know if it's the best flavor we ever made, but it was very interesting. And I think, isn't that part of it? It's not just about, you know, having something that tastes amazing. Sometimes it can have something that tastes challenging or makes you think. Um, for anyone that's not mm-hmm. familiar with Velveeta, what's, what's that flavor profile, and, and how, <laughs> how did it translate? It's kind of like American cheese. Um, what we did for the Velveeta was actually chocolate-covered cheese, so it had a chocolate. And then there was just cheese inside. So it was very, very simple. But we've done really interesting flavors like avocado toast chocolate bars, pizza chocolate bars, tie-dye chocolate. Um, and all of these flavors really become very popular in the U.S. They're always limited edition. And they generally will go viral. People are posting them on social media. And, you know, we sell out each time, which is allowing people to experience something that's really unique and different than the regular chocolates they might find at a grocery store. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually, um, that much like some incredible restaurants might have some specials or do collaborations or four-handed dinners to keep regular customers coming back in and engaged and eating. So that mm-hmm. limited edition, is that the kind of a philosophy that you've been, you know, bringing to your table? Absolutely. I think it's really important to keep it exciting for people. So, you know, not only do we have the limited edition, but generally just like a fashion house, 
you know, four times a year, I have a new collection of products. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, again, you know, because I've been doing this since I was just a little kid, I'm also evolving as a person. So I'm growing up and my brand is growing up, you know, around me. So the flavors have gotten more sophisticated. The packaging is more sophisticated. And what I really appreciate is our customers and our fans have been on that journey with us the whole time. And they really trust me because, you know, a lot of them have grown up on Compartes. We're talking about a 75-year heritage brand where people have been coming to us for many years and going along this journey, which is really amazing to me. Jonathan, I want to know why Dubai? Why do you feel like this is a city that you needed to bring the brand to? Well, Compartes is really an elevated luxury chocolate brand. So everything in Dubai is all about luxury and, you know, I want to say a little bit over the top and indulgent. And that's really what Compartes (laughs) represents. It's glitzy. It's glamour. You know, the packaging was featured in the Smithsonian Museum on an exhibit for the world's best packaging. Um, We collaborate with, you know, Every fashion brand you can imagine in the U.S. serves our chocolate in their stores. And it's really become, you know, really this kind of luxurious chocolate. And the place to go for luxury is Dubai. So where can we find you in the city? In Dubai, we have a beautiful pop-up right now at American Rag in the Dubai Mall. Oh, Fashion Avenue. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Because it's fashionable chocolate. And what you'll see about Compartes is it's, so beautiful and pretty and tastes so great. You think, why would you give regular chocolate or boring chocolate when you can give chocolate that makes an impression? Compartes is chocolate that when people open it, they want to talk about it. They share it with their friends. They, you know, send notes. This is the most beautiful gift I've ever received. You can also order it online at compartes.me here in Dubai. And we have a two-hour delivery or next day in the other Emirates. I love the idea of it being a gift that you might take to a dinner party instead of taking a bottle of flowers, you know, something that's a little bit more, you know, instant, let's open it, we're, help, we're helping you out. Um, I wanted to ask you about geographical preferences because your partner is from the UK, as am I. Here in uh, the UAE, we've got a very sweet tooth. And I wondered, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going, I'm not going to mention any brand names. I haven't had that many great experiences with American chocolate. And you are here to mm. save that day and that reputation. Yeah. <laughs> but how, have, how do you have to think about different cultures, nationalities, you know, flavor profiles and palettes when you are expanding internationally? That's a really great question. So I also have seven Comparte stores in Tokyo. So that was the oh. first, you know, besides our Los Angeles store. We're sold in thousands of stores in the U.S. So we're sold at Bergdorf Goodman in New York. We're sold at Harrods in London. Um, But something that's been very interesting is the perception of American chocolate. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks of American chocolate as, you know, Kit Kat and Crunch Bars and M&Ms. And I've been trying to change that stereotype and say, here we are from America and we can make great chocolate too. We can make it you know, what I would say, even better than the Europeans. <gasps> and I think <laughs> fighting words. But, but you know, really, in, in Tokyo, uh, the way that we launched in that market is there was a chocolate competition. It was a blind taste testing of 25 brands. I was the only brand from the USA. 24 were European. And we won the competition. Boom. So that says a lot about the brand. Mic drop. What about sourcing? Yeah. I want to ask about in- <laughs> ingredients. Where are you getting the good stuff from? So, you know, we try to source as locally as possible for everything. So when you're talking about L.A., we've got berries that are from the farmer's market. We've got the donuts from the donut shop. A lot of the things that are in our bars are chunks of ingredients. So we have a brownie chocolate bar, a birthday cake chocolate bar, and we're actually making the brownies in-house and putting them into the chocolate bar. So that's always very important to me because my brand represents L.A. 
I want it to be something where you're in Dubai, you're in Tokyo, you're in London, wherever you go, you know that's the L.A. chocolate brand and the ingredients are coming directly from L.A. Well, huge congratulations. It's great to have you in the city. And I guess an ending on a difficult question. If we are going to be coming into your pop-up in Dubai Mall and we can only have one bite, one bar, <laughs> what do you think kind of sums up your foodie philosophy when it comes to chocolate? I think it's really hard to choose just one. They're also, <laughs> they're, they're also really affordably priced. Believe it or not, even though it's a luxury brand, we're priced like right at the rest of the market. So I say you have to get two or three. But if I had to choose one, I absolutely love the donuts and coffee bar because those donuts are from my favorite donut shop as a kid. Um, it, it just means a lot to me. But I would also say strawberry shortcake and cookies and cream. And there we go. Well, I'm really interested to see how Dubai is, is going to inspire you on the flavor front and maybe we can have some limited edition kind of UAE meets Compate. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Really lovely to hear your passion and mission accomplished. I think we all want a beautiful bar right now. Have a great weekend ahead and welcome to Dubai. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.